The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. Hi, I'm Angela Fitzgerald, and this is Why Race Matters. Racial trauma is constant within the Black community. But how have events such as the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, or the shooting of Jacob Blake, added to this trauma? What about the almost daily barrage of media coverage, YouTube clips, and social media posts showing Black people dying? How does that affect Black mental health? On this episode of Why Race Matters, I'll chat with Myra McNair, a therapist and trauma specialist, about the anxiety and mental health hurdles Black people face every day. We'll also talk about the Black church and the role they can play. Together, we'll discuss and explore why race matters when we talk about mental health. Thank you for joining us today, Myra. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So tell me, what's your story? I would say it's, it's a little bit of a long story. I would say it started really since I've been a little girl. Um, my mother is from Minnesota. We're from Minnesota. And she ran nonprofits. And her one nonprofit was working with homeless youth. And so I really grew up just watching my mom um, help people and really be a part of the community. I did... Um, always tell myself while I was growing up that I didn't want to be like her though. And so <laughs> I majored like in this. Ironically. <laughs> I saw it was so much work, right? Um, with, with helping people being a part of the community in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. So I majored in biology, oh. um, thinking I was going to go into medical school or be a physician assistant. Um, but then after marrying my husband, moving here to Madison, Wisconsin, my husband is in ministry. So I saw a lot of mental health issues in the church. And there's always been this narrative in the black church that if you had Jesus, you didn't need to have um, a mental health professional in your life, right? Right. That you shouldn't have any mental health issues. Um, You should just pray everything away. Um, You shouldn't be sad if you have Jesus, right? Right. And so being a minister's wife and seeing all the issues and seeing that it was much more than you could just really pray about. Uh um, And that knowing that we wouldn't tell that from... um, to anyone if there was a physical health issue, right? We would never just say not to go to your doctor. And so really interested me into the mental health field. Um, And so that's what really pushed me, right, into that field. So that is super interesting and also super relatable to me because I was a biochemistry major in undergrad with the goal of like medical school. And then after organic chemistry was a wrap. I was like, nope, (laughs) I'm majoring in psychology. And it's been psych ever since then. Um, But you made raise an excellent point around how there's this stigma that's like intersecting with religion, specifically within the black community and how that can create a barrier to folks seeking out mental health support. Um, so in terms of like you going into that field, well, one, can you tell us like your, I don't want to minimize like your profession or your certification. So if you can tell us what that is and then how you try to circumvent some of those barriers that you've mentioned that might prevent your community from seeking out support. Yeah. So, um, I'm a marriage and family therapist, uh, graduated right, uh, here in Madison at Edgewood college. And um, I would say there are a lot of different barriers why people don't receive mental health within our community. So there is the spiritual, right, or the religious factor, I think, that keeps us or there's like that stigma um, that has come from the church. 
Um, there's been this stigma also that black people don't even commit suicide within mm. the church, that people just don't believe that that is something. And because we've carried that narrative for so long, we're seeing these huge spikes in suicide, right? And we're, we're behind because we don't even think that happens within our community. Right. Um, I would say there's a lot of different barriers, though. Um, one is health care, right? Mm, yes. One is the stigma that we just carry within our community. Um, we have heard this narrative of, well, we, our ancestors have experienced slavery mm -hmm. and we're very resilient. We're very strong, right? And if my ancestors have gone through that without any therapy, then why would I need therapy now, right? What I'm going through now isn't as bad as slavery. Um, and so we're, we're strong, we're resilient, we don't need this, right? So there's this like really negative um, kind of narrative that we hold within our community about being strong, not needing these extra supports. Um, also, it has been, psychology has been a very... Uh, white field, right? Yes. It was created. When we look at psychology, we look at the the fathers of psychology. Right. They're all white males, right? And so what do what does psychology or what does therapy know about me and my community, about my traumas, right? And we also know that um, there's been so many so much different research on black people, right? Whether it's been the healthcare field um, with, with medical, physical health, and then also with psychology, right? And can, can I trust a psychologist? Can I trust a therapist? Um, will they understand? Do I have to educate my therapist um, about myself and my community before I can even get down to what's actually my issue and my problems that I'm coming to talk about? Um, will they call social services on me and my family? Mm. Um, so we know that there's a historical piece of kids and families being, you know, torn apart. Um, so can I can I trust that this person will will help or will they be a hindrance? Mm -hmm. You have said a mouthful in terms of like all the different barriers that are coming from. I mean, there's a common root to them, but they're structural, they're financial, yes. they're cultural, like all these things that can serve as like impediments to people seeking out something that might actually be helpful on top of if we're not necessarily taught about mental health and how like what it means to feel anxious or what it means yes. to feel depressed and even recognizing that that's what it is and calling it that might not even be recognized from folks who would possibly be open, right, to seeking out support. Um, so I'm wondering even unpacking the, the psychology side in terms of like the foundation of psychology being very white focused and even now still being a predominantly white field. So what does that mean for you specifically and your practice within lovely Madison, which is a predominantly white city? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say it's been really, it's two different things. Um, one, that we've had a really huge growth, right? Which I would say most um, practices would not experience the type of growth that we have. We opened in 2016 and we have, you know, close to 30 staff now. Wow. Uh, we serve anywhere from four to 500 clients right now. And so that's a really, if you look at the growth trajectory, it's really, really fast, right? Um, so I would say, we've knocked a lot of those barriers down just by being, right? And by taking up space. But I would say taking up space has not been easy because there are not a lot of people in our field that look black and brown. Um, 
There are not a lot of people in the field that speak Spanish or different languages to be able to reach other communities. Um, so I would say those have been some major barriers. Um, but the healthcare field and just behind the scenes, the barriers that are there in opening up a clinic has just been really, really hard. But um, we, we've, um, we've kind of knocked them down and we're, we're here. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I said, health insurance is a, is a major one. Um, and being able to be paneled with health insurances so people then have access um, that was one barrier, but then also people need to have health insurance, right? Right. And and people will tell you all the time if they've had any family member that has had any type of me mental health issues, whether they're really big or whether they're really small, um, healthcare and getting that access to mental health is not easy. It's a not an easy system to navigate, whether you're white, black, or brown. But I would say that other barrier comes in being black. Mm, wow. That's congratulations on the tremendous growth that you all have experienced because I personally feel like the need is there. So just to have a space where people feel like I'm comfortable, like you mentioned earlier, I don't have to explain right. why I'm feeling anxious or why I'm seeking out your support because you get it. So we yeah. can just start from there. It's probably such a relief to folks, but they're still working through some of the other challenges that still present. Yes. Um, well, that's amazing. I was going to ask too, given that we're in the state that we're in, we're in a pandemic and there's been a resurgence, thankfully, um, of refocused attention on the Black Lives Matter movement. But unfortunately, that's come at a cost in terms of more lives being lost and just visually are being inundated with videos and other images of like black death. Yeah. Right. So I'm wondering from your professional standpoint, what does that mean to the yeah. mental health of black people now? Like it's a lot for everyone. But for yeah. our community specifically, what do you think that means? And how is that even showing up, too, within your practice? Yeah, this has been a this is a huge challenge right now uh, for black and brown people, but especially I would say for black people um, with COVID hitting it hit our community first. And it's still it's it's the numbers of how many black people are dying from COVID um, and being affected is just it's it's. It's just huge, right, the impact. And so we had that first to deal with, with the pandemic, right? And um, that right alone, just that alone, we were seeing an increase at our clinic for mental mm. health, right? Um, and so that was a lot. And then after the murder of George Floyd, right, he said, I can't breathe. We've heard countless black men say, I can't breathe. And I always explain with COVID and then with all of the racial unrest, we can't breathe as a community. It was almost like we were suffocating. And yeah. I think as clinicians, we process this a lot at our clinic. We were also feeling that, right? Because we have that shared experience, but then also seeing the impact in our community, right? And the increase of numbers of people coming in, um, it, was, it was like we couldn't breathe. <laughs> and that's the way I explain it. As a community, it's a shared experience that we're having right now in the United States. Um, it was to the point, um, clinically that I had to even shut down our clinic for a day, wow. just for an extra day. So we could catch our breath a little bit as clinicians, because like I said, we were having the shared experience with our clients and we needed some time to slow down and for some self-care and processing. So good, we good. did that. We did a lot of processing, a lot of, we had some yoga online for our staff, but um, it's, it's just been really, really, um, 
impactful mm-hmm. on everyone's mental health, I would say, on our families. Um, I think as clinicians, we were all coming in and just, you know, we have so many clinicians of different ages, right? Mm-hmm. So we had some of the older clinicians say, you know, this is really bringing up, you know, the 60s for me. And I've gone through this. This isn't new for us, right? And so they, you know, they were really coming in and, you know, schooling us young, younger people. <laughs> like, you know, we've gone through this. this we've how have, we made it through. Yeah, we have clinicians from L.A. And they're like, you know, I remember the L.A. riots and, and you know, Rodney King. And, and I was right there. You know, that was my community. This is bringing up a lot. We have clinicians also that are from Minneapolis. I'm from Minnesota. We have a couple that are from Minneapolis. And they're like looking at all the different things that were happening in Minneapolis. And they're like, wow, my school was right by this. Or I remember this certain gas station. It's not there anymore. And just, you know, there were so many different levels of processing um, within our community, um, just even at our clinic. Now you imagine what that shared experience was for all of us in the United States for black people. I mean, it was just huge on our mental health, just huge. And then being that we couldn't gather together for healing spaces that we normally would when these kind of things happen, right? Um, And so a lot of people in our community leaned to us, right? For that mental health care, for that communication, just, you know, just to have someone to connect with and process with. I love everything that you just said, especially to like the mindfulness that you brought to your staff, because there's so often I've talked to like black professionals in this city alone who were like, I have to figure out how to put on the face when I join my Zoom call because I'm dealing with so much, but because it's not, this experience is not shared amongst my coworkers. Right. Like, I I don't have a space even to process at work, so I have to file it away, do what I have to do to make it through the day, and then hopefully I have another safe space outside of the workday. But the fact that you've embedded that because you're like, we get it. Yeah. We're not only supporting, like, our community, but we are part of the community and are being impacted as well. So how are we taking care care of ourselves so that we're in a position to be of support? Um, and to provide that, like, because you're right, being in a pandemic, we can't all come together like we normally would. And so yeah. what does that look like now? How is that different? Yeah. So I love that you are attentive to that in a way that I think that perhaps other people might not have been yeah. as thoughtful around. One thing that we did that just recently and throughout the summer and now through the fall, um, different organizations, corporate organizations um, within our community asked us to run um, kind of groups because oh, wonderful. black and brown people were saying we need some support yes. here and we need it at the workplace. Yes. And so we we came in and we did real cultural specific groups for black and brown people. And one thing I would say throughout all the organizations, everyone said, you know what? We're really glad COVID actually is happening right now because mm. this would be really hard for me to go into work with all mm. of my white. Like physically um, to go into work. Yeah, to physically go in uh, with all of my, you know, white um, counterparts, right? Um, go back to work after the murder of George Floyd, after all of the things that have happened in Kenosha, things that have happened in Atlanta, things that have happened in, te- I mean, like all around, right? That right. we're hearing things. And... Um, it's just really interesting that everyone has been, it's been really kind of a 
similar narrative from everyone Mm -hmm. um, of not really understanding, like, who can I trust when I go back to work, right? Um, And that I actually feel really safe being at home right now because of all of the racial things that are happening. This is probably the safest place for me right now is to just be at home. Uh, That's not a good thing. That's that's not... It, it it shows you that as black people within our community that we're not we don't feel safe. What do you think are the effects of our being inundated by the media with images of black death? Whether it's you know George Floyd him being kneeled on his neck until he suffocated, right. black men being shot, like whatever the case may be. On the one hand, those images are put out there to kind of force to propel people to care. Yeah. But for those of us who already care, it could be a lot. So what are you seeing or hearing that you think is a reflection of of that impact of those images? Yeah, um, it's a huge impact. And I would say the hugest is it's really like a trauma response that's happening within a lot of black people that are seeing these videos and they're being shared over and over and over again. Um, And for a lot of people, sometimes people don't even know that they're opening it or they're about to watch a video like that. I talked to one of my other colleagues in uh, DC who's actually a clinician and she was so traumatized over Tamir Rice and she didn't know what she was about to watch and literally like those images just kept replaying over and over of Tamir Rice and just how young he was and and being a mom, right? And having a son, um, it, it's just, it's a, a trauma response. And so I tell a lot of people to to really try to take a step back and take social media breaks um, because sometimes you don't know that you're opening these things or you're about to see a video like that. Um, And I get that, you know, they're needed um, sometimes for education. Um, But I would say, you know, right now we've seen enough, right? And now I think we need change, right, to really happen. Um, But it's really hard, I think, for black people to really just be exposed to that kind of trauma. Um, And it's not new, unfortunately. This trauma is not new. Um, These these type of traumas have been within our communities um, really since slavery, right? And we we talk about lynching and now we're, we're, it's just a different form of it. It's, it's shooting, right? Um, But it's, it's not helpful to our mental health at all. Um, We know these things happen within our communities. Um, And so I I really, I think the best thing is, you know, really is if our nation could change, right? And these things don't repeat themselves. Um, Yeah, that does feel like the frustrating thing that this, the need for this to continue, because that was Emma Till's mother's, like her whole reason for having an open casket funeral for her son. And we've all seen the images of what he looked like was to show this is what you've done. This is what we need to change. But we're still then feeling the need to show these images to encourage that same line of thinking. It becomes frustrating. Like you said, it has a super negative and triggering impact. And on the flip side, I see some folks who are opting out of so closely following certain headlines and instead trying to put out funny content or other things being criticized for not focusing on the issues Mm -hmm. at hand. They're like, I need a break. Like, I cannot take this in 24 seven. So right. what do you say to those who are like, yes, let's let's pivot, let's present some joy, right? In the midst of what we're seeing mm-hmm. as some very, very violent, very graphic like images and representations of, of themselves potentially. Yeah, I think it's a balance, right? Because I think, um, 
you know, I have a, a younger daughter. She's um, 18, just turned 18. And for her, when she saw a lot of her friends who were white from high school um, start like just posting things about cooking and like other things like that, she was really offended. Um, she really felt like, you know, our whole community is hurting and we're grieving and you're carrying on like nothing even happened, right? And so I think that there's a balance. I think for black people, it is great. I, I have posted myself about restoring the joy, restore black joy. Um, and finding ways to take care of ourselves, finding ways to have joy in the middle of a pandemic, or I would say pandemics for us, yes, multiple. Um, is really important. So I think it's a balance. I think that, you know, to use our social media platform for those different things, but I think also to remind ourselves that we are human and we need joy. Yes. We need peace. And it's so hard for us, I would say so much more hard, uh, harder because we have, yes, COVID, but then we have all of the other things that come with um, the systemic racism in our nation as black people. So it's not so much as being black, but it's all of the racism that we have to deal with that, w that makes it so hard to find joy and to find peace. You know, taking those social media breaks is so important. Um, and if you, I always say people have like this little COVID bubble, right? And so whether you're single, whether you're, you know, you have a partner is whoever your COVID bubble is, right? Usually it helps just to spend time with actual people and to get off of social media here and there. You need a balance during this pandemic. It's so important. That's a great point because it can get easy to get sucked in because yes. you're at home and the other outlets that you might have sought out instead of going online aren't yep. there. Um, so you're right, taking those intentional breaks, even like from screen time, just for your eyes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> from that point, but also because of all of the things that you're being inundated with. Because like you mentioned, structural racism didn't just stop because no. of George Floyd and others' deaths and because of COVID. So you have all the things that were yep. already there on top of what's being layered yep. on those, those existing issues. So taking care of self, like, and I would say being like an intentional act. Absolutely. Um, there's an account I follow on Instagram that like their focus is naps and they see yes. naps as a revolutionary act it for is. black people. They, they're called the nap ministry and yes. I follow them. Because... I follow them too. <laughs> I love them. I love the nap ministry. Yes, yes. I'm like, I'm a believer in naps as well because that's, yes. that's self-care. Yeah. Um, so in whatever ways people can yes. to take care of self. Yes. That's so key. So Myra, you're in your profession because you recognize that this is an issue. Mental health support is an area of need within the black community and you wanted to take part in contributing to that need. So if we can elevate that to what is happening currently with one of the pandemics around race relations and how from the black community seeing all of the black death that we are surrounded by and issues with police brutality, et cetera, there are those who might feel like I need to do something and then there are people outside the black community that are looking to us as the solvers of an issue yeah. that honestly we didn't create. So for those of us who feel as though I am personally impacted by what's happening while at the same time, like feeling this compelled to do something, feeling this call to action placed on me, that has to be drained. Like that has to do something to us. So what do you say to that? Yeah, I would say it's really hard, right? Um, it's a really huge impact on our mental health because we don't get a chance to pause and heal. And I think it kind of makes sense because we can't 
really fully heal when we're talking about a whole shared experience, right? We're talking about a collective healing. We can't really do that until there's some type of change. So I think it's a really human instinct to want to say, okay, well, we got to solve this problem. Even if we didn't create the problem, right? we have got to help or create some type of change because we, for the next generation. Exactly. Right? There can't be a healing if this keeps happening, right? Because then we're going to try to heal and then there's something else that happens. And then we try to heal and then something else happens, right? And so it really does make sense of like, we got to get to the root of this issue um, and then our collective healing can come about. Um, but it doesn't make it easy, right? And I think it c- creates a lot of toxic stress. And I always say that toxic stress causes a lot of inflammation in our body, which then causes a lot of other health issues. And I think that's why we're also seeing a lot of issues within our community with health, um, as well as mental health too. Whew, so it's just managing that maybe expectation of, even though, yes, you want to solve this for your own children for generations to come, that the approach may need to be managed to not create those other sorts of health problems that you mentioned. And I think, again, it goes to balance, right? And creating this balance um, and making sure that, yeah, we are making things better for our next generation as much as we can and as much as we have the power to do so. But I think also we do have to push back um, within the white community, right? And say that, you know, you really need to create change. This just can't be on black people. We didn't create this system. We didn't create racism. Um, This can't, and also us letting white people in (laughs) on some of the movements, right? Right. Because knowing that this just isn't our movement. This is, this has to be all of our movement, right? This change has to be with all of us. Yes, and historically that has happened, right? Where there were white people who took part in the the Freedom Rides, for example, and lost their lives alongside those who are black that were part of that movement. So absolutely, this is not just our issue, right? It's all of our issue and we didn't create it, but we need everyone involved to help solve it. And in in creating change happens on a lot of different levels. Um, I tell a lot of parents, sometimes the biggest change and the most like revolutionary thing that you can do is just playing with your kids, which I know sounds like really like crazy, but yeah, like in a pandemic during racial unrest, letting our kids in the next generation have joy um, is not what society is telling us right now. And so that's why I say it's revolutionary, right? Is to just love each other, um, love our families, love our kids. Um, That is creating huge change. I tell people, it may not, you may not be a protester, right? Because maybe you're with your kids, right? right? Or you can't just drive to the next city and, and protest with them because you got to get your kids to bed on time for their for <laughs> right. their virtual school lesson the next day. And that is revolutionary. That is creating change in your own small way. I love that. Like reframing what revolutionary acts yes. are because you're right. Protesting, marching, all of those acts are appreciated. But for those who can't do yeah. those things for whatever reason, what can you do right. that still speaks to like... Self-care, love, joy, all the things you've mentioned. Yes. Okay, so I have another question for you. Um, For people who were formerly like myself, um, who are on the fence about pursuing therapy, because as you mentioned before, even understanding that there is an issue psychologically Mm -hmm. is sometimes lost on us because we've never exposed to, this is what anxiety looks like. This is what depression looks like. Um, And we may call it something else. Like I very specifically remember 
experiencing a panic attack mm -hmm. um, in school years ago, and I didn't know what it was. I thought I was having a heart attack at like, yeah. I was maybe like 22. And I went to the ER at the time, the city that I lived in, and they asked me if I used cocaine. And I was like, I've never used drugs in my life, <laughs> no. And so they were like, well, we don't understand why someone your age would be having a heart problem. They never asked me about school. Like that eventually came out. They were like, oh, okay, you're a student, so this is probably why, but that didn't click to them to ask me before they asked the drug question, right? And it didn't click to me that that was probably a connector. And so even after having that issue, it didn't register like, oh, I should probably talk to someone. Now, like 10 year plus years later, I now have a therapist relationship, but for so long, because I think the influence of the church, like praying things away, as well as just not seeing myself as, having a high enough need yeah. to go talk to someone. Like all those things kept me from having a relationship that I think would have been super helpful. And who knows where I would be now had I had a 10 plus year foundation relationship with a therapist. So in saying all that, what do you say to people who recognize that, yeah, life is tough. I get stressed sometimes, but you know, it's everyone's stress, you know, that's, or everyone has these issues. What would you say to them to maybe encourage them to consider that, yes, you're stressed. Yes, everyone's stressed but a therapist relationship could also be beneficial to you. Yeah, I would say, you know, whether it's big or small, right? Everyone can benefit from seeing a therapist, seeing a counselor. Um, no one, no doctor would ever say, wait until you're having a lot of issues before you come in for a checkup, or um, we want you to come in when you're having a heart attack. You know, that's when we want you to, to come into the hospital. No, no doctor would ever say that, <laughs> right? Yes. And so we, I, I would say the same thing for, for families, for individuals to come in and seek help, um, seek support, even when you don't think it's that big of an issue. And, and what we kind of, that narrative that we tell ourselves of what is big or not also comes from your upbringing, right? And so someone else could think that is really big or you could look at someone else and compare yourself to someone else and say, no, that's a big issue, right? And so normalcy is all what we think it is, right? Based on our upbringing, based on what society or our, our, our own community has told us. And sometimes when we go in and see a therapist, we get a different perspective, right? And someone can say, no, that is really stressful. And you can, you know, sometimes it shocks people like, wow, it, it is. I didn't realize I was walking around with this stress or I was walking around with this issue that I just thought I was supposed to have it, right? Because we were taught that it was normal or, or this is what I'm supposed to be dealing with, dealing with. Or maybe you saw a parent that was really kind of had a lot of anxiety, right? And sometimes we pick up on those things, right, from our parents, and we don't even know that. We just think, well, I thought that's how, how I everyone, was supposed to right. feel, or everyone <laughs> walked around stressed like that, right? Exactly. Um, and so I think it really gives perspective. It just, it, it creates a better you, um, and that's different for everyone. But I will say, for those who are watching this, who either might be in the camp of I am not a part of the black community, but I'm learning a lot and maybe I would like to support in some ways. Or those who are part of the community and are like, wow, you've highlighted some areas that I didn't think about. Um, or you're just like really resonating with me. What do you, what would you like the takeaway to be like from this conversation for either audience? I think just having empathy, right? Having empathy, having understanding. Um, I, I just, I always love that saying, like, when you know better or you, when you know more, you do better. Right. And, um, 
I just think like knowledge, right? And just being able to listen and to understand that we don't know and understand everything um, and to listen to one another, right? I think is huge. I think um, empathy right now in our country is just so needed right now. And I think that was for me when the murders um, of George Floyd and then of so many other, during a pandemic, when so many people are hurting, physically, financially, people are in isolation. The only thing I can think of is where was the kindness? Where was the empathy? And where, you know, in the middle of this foundation of this pandemic, right? Um, I think we just need more of that. Um, and so I think that would be the the one biggest takeaway. Um, I think one thing too, um, with, with us, we're doing a lot of telehealth, right? We're doing mostly telehealth because of the pandemic. Um, we're therapies in real closed spaces and in like closed offices um, where it's like, yeah, we can't open windows even when it's nice because there's confidentiality issues. And so that has been a huge barrier during this pandemic. Um, we have lost clients because um, we serve so many different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so some have been homeless and they don't have phones. They don't have internet. Um, and so how can people access really great mental health care in a pandemic when it's all about resources, needing internet, needing um, something to actually d use, right? Right, a device um, of some sort. Yeah, some kind of device. And so we, we did write a lot of grants that were turned down, actually, um, over the pandemic because right now um, people are really seeing the need of like eviction prevention and food. Like more basic more resources. More basic resources yeah. and mental health is still forgotten about. Even though people are talking about mental health during this pandemic, it is still really low, right, on the priority list. Um, and so I just ask people to just keep, you know, be really mindful of this being a real basic need, um, especially during the pandemic. Um, for all ages. And thank you for uplifting that issue because you're right, like there are all of these other needs that are being highlighted and mobilized around. But then if that is like the underpinning behind these other areas that you're focusing in on, then you're not quite hitting the mark. So I, I absolutely love that. Whew. So there's still more work to be done. Yes. It sounds like there's still like hopefulness, like within the midst of, of the challenges, which, Absolutely. which I appreciate, which has always been at the core of our community. Yeah. Thank you so much, Myra. Thank you. Negative messages and images associated with being Black is honestly exhausting. On top of dealing with trauma, many within the Black community also are tasked with leading the charge on social justice. This daily struggle is devastating for Black mental health. That's why race matters when we talk about it. But there are ways to find help, people like Myra willing to listen, and remind us that finding joy is a revolutionary act. For more info on why race matters, and to hear and watch other episodes, visit us online at pbswisconsin.org slash whyracematters. Funding for Why Race Matters is provided by... CUNA Mutual Group, Park Bank, Alliant Energy, Madison Museum of Contemporary Art, Focus Fund for Wisconsin Programming, and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. <laughs>